Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. Corinne! Derek. It's the coronavirus. We're still in it. Still. We figured as the only environmental uh, disaster relief podcast that during a national, international, worldwide pandemic... We'd go radio silent. Yeah, best time for us to really uh, self-sabotage. <laughs> Just like everyone's out there looking for information about disaster preparedness. We're going to go quiet. Nobody can hear. <laughs> no more episodes. Um, do you want my list of excuses? We have so many excuses. Top of the list, though, is that we are both essential workers. And I have been working more than I have worked in the last year and a half. Also, should be noted on that list is that uh, because the schools are closed, the podcast studio has been turned into <laughs> home uh, school. For, I'm sure there's for a lot daughter, of learning going on around yeah, here. Who has been playing Minecraft on our editing computer Pretty much nonstop, so it's been difficult to get recorded. I am sure YouTube often discusses basics of mathematics. Yeah. So, you know, beyond that, though. I've been working. I've been playing video games and self-quarantining. Basically, I'm a hero. Oh, we're definitely both heroes. Though, I don't hear us our work often mentioned in the uh, thank you essential workers. (laughs) Um, So, especially where we work has a lot of uh, nurses and... Other essential workers who are often congratulated. You know, like the people working at uh, Wendy's. <laughs> the true the heroes. Honestly, I, I personally, I think the people working at Wendy's are true heroes. Oh, for sure. Because they have to brave the virus and everybody coming through the drive through line and being terrible for like $10 an hour. And Wendy's workers are always uh, having to put up with nonsense 100% of the time from people who know they can be rude to them and can do whatever they want to them and there's nothing they can do. And they're going to pay them not enough to survive. Yeah, so, and they've still got to go to work. And the they still have to go to work. Yeah. So actually, thank you to all the Wendy's yeah, workers. Yeah, thank you to all of the, the non... Well, thank you to all the medical professionals who are out there saving everyone. Sure. But thank you to everybody else who got stuck going to work. Mm-hmm. The guy at Baskin-Robbins, the people stocking the shelves at Target, mm-hmm. uh, you know, making sure you get that toilet paper. Thank you to everybody who's been forced to work during this pandemic. Now that that's out of the way, Corinne, you ready for the first real new Heating Up podcast in quite some time? I'm a little nervous as you told me I need multiple chocolate chip cookies. Well, you know, it's going to be a rough one. We've got to get back into the swing of things. You How? Know, not... Okay. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Are there more things? There, we are, have... there are more things. Not that many, but there's a few more. First off, though, Corinne, what else is new with you? Yes, you've been working more. What have you been doing during the quarantine uh, that's prepper-related? Anything? Uh, or prepper-related. Just... I guess when I go to the grocery store and I buy my normal groceries, and I'm not hoarding, per se, but I am every time buying something that's a little bit more shelf-steady, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, I know that meat's probably going to be scarce, so I'm not going to lie, I buy a lot of bacon. Yeah. Because I, it's really easy to store. Sure. Has tons of fat and protein. And I'm like, this this will also boost my mood if it comes down to it and I can't have a hamburger. Um, so just buying shelves, one or two things. I'm really, swear to God, I'm not hoarding food like a monster. I'm just buying a couple of shelf steady things as I'm at the grocery stores. Trying to eat lots of fruits and vegetables while I can and so that I stay healthy and going on walks, trying to avoid people. And every time people don't avoid me, I get really mad. And I mean, I always want six feet of space, like even in a regular time. But I also want to be like, you don't have any idea where I work or what I do or what I've been doing all day. And I promise you, if anyone's going to give Corona, it's probably me. Okay. So, and then I've seen these groups of like young people walking together. Listen, I feel bad for like high school seniors and stuff. Totally. But there's no way 15 of you live together. And if you're all walking, I just get so mad. I hate people. And it's just exasperated in this yeah. time. Uh, similar here. You know, I'm, I didn't didn't go out and, you know, crazy stock up on toilet paper like all those people. We always buy bulk from Costco anyway. So I already had a decent amount of toilet paper. Yeah. Did, yeah. Kind of hit the grocery stores, stock up a little more heavily on frozen on meats that I could freeze. So we've got a decent amount in the freezer. But one thing I was really thankful for was like having done this podcast for the last year or so. Like I was already in a much better place going into this than I would have been had this been the COVID eighteen or yes. COVID seventeen. Yeah. And so it was really helpful to just kind of not have to worry about having to go out and brave the panicked, you know, shopping masses and stuff. And now that it started to slow down and you know, stores are there. I do we do head out and get you know our milk and our whatever else. But 
Yeah, stocking up on meat is an important one because, you know, the latest news is that there's going to be supply chain issues. I was talking with someone and, you know, Tyson Foods, the big chicken distributor or whatever, They're released like, a press release. Corona. Well, they were, yeah, all their meat packing plants are one of the highest COVID-19 germ factories out there. Yeah. And beyond that, like Tyson Foods issued a press release saying that they're expecting problems in their supply chain. And it's like, that's going to drop their stock prices. That's going to cause all sorts of problems just to say it. So if Tyson Foods is saying it, yeah. It's a done deal. Yeah. Like, they're not going to go out there and be like, maybe this will be a problem. No, no, no. no. They, oh, they already know that it will be an issue. So there will be supply chain issues, especially when it comes to, like, meat. And in talking to people who I know that are a little bit more tied into, like, the the re- buying for restaurants and stuff, what they're hearing from their suppliers is you, what you're going to see probably in grocery stores is there's, there's enough frozen meat out there to serve, to get people through, but you're not going to find that high on the hog living that we're used to. So there's going to be a lot less of the the overly processed food. So if you only buy boneless, skinless chicken breasts, that's not going to be there. You might find chicken quarters. Mm. You might find, you know, but you're not going to find, you know, the pre-cut, you know, pork chops. You might find a big loin and have to, you know, process it a little bit more yourself. Should have all been butchers. Yeah, exactly. But no, so there'll be some issues, but yeah, really double down on the gardening. I know that's been a long time thing for listeners <laughs> you of this do, pod. On a, this is already cyclical. You yes. double down on the gardening every six to ten months either way. But this definitely made me jump out there and get the garden going more yes. than it was. I had already planted some things in the garden. But yeah. as soon as you know, I saw this was going to be a, a longer term thing, I was like, oh, all right. So I've got more in the garden. I've got two or three garden beds out there. Actually, my melon, I just planted a bed full of melons and they just popped up this week. Nice. The little seeds of watermelons oh i'm already tasty i love watermelon so much you guys <laughs> you so your good. son loves watermelon more than anyone in the world maybe that is that is true but i i do love it quite a lot as so well I, it's just so good and i can just see these plants and i'm just and you don't even it. have to feel that bad about eating it because no, like even health places are like it's basically water so good <laughs> job you're drinking it and you're just like yes i'm healthy let me eat four of these and we've i've got like uh heirloom seeds so one of them are going to be like these little baby yellow watermelons oh, and the other ones are going to be a little bit darker nicer watermelons so gonna be nice to yes it's gonna be at your door knocking on for some fresh fruits and veggies in a couple weeks yeah no so it's good i've got my and then zucchini is always a good one to grow if you're not con- we'll get into gardening later today actually we're going to do a bit of a prepper segment on panic gardening mm-hmm. but one of the best things to grow guys pro tip zucchini why because is that? it's so easy and because it just shoots up you don't really need to do anything as long as you're fairly consistent in watering it you get this big bushy looking beautiful plant and it makes tons of zucchini hmm. like one plant you have so many of them you feel like a pro you're like i am i am the gardening god because you have four <laughs> zucchini plants out there you will have more zucchini than you ever need in your life yeah. so pro tip if you really want to like something to pump up your gardening ego Zucchini's I might be one. hitting you up for some zucchini. I'm trying to eat zoodles lately, which, by the way, nothing like noodles. Oh, that is a lie. Basically, you're eating sauce with some <laughs> zucchini on it. I'm trying to fake it, but it's... <sighs> Here's the thing about Do you dieting. you have a spiralizer? Yes. Here's the thing about dieting. It's terrible. <laughs> and food is one of the only joys, especially now that we have. I always... This has changed my life very little. No. Other than that I'm working more. But my socializing and how I spend my time is basically the same. But not eating pasta is a true form of torture. I can't say that I've been eating much worse. I'm always a comfort eater. So I'm mm-hmm. definitely eating more. Like just to head into the fridge when I'm home. And yeah, I just haven't had the... Des- I know a lot of people are doing these at-home exercise routines. Oof. And they're like, oh, I'm going to get super fit going running i actually have dropped off like I, Me too. so that's not been good i gotta get back on the swing of that here's the thing my apartment is so small if i wanted to do an at-home yoga i have to move my bed <laughs> okay. so it's like the exercise itself is setting up for the exercise <laughs> once you're done moving once the bed, i'm like, done moving that's about all, right, all i tomorrow. can do guess i'll be sleeping in the bathroom you know like there's I, you also got, um, as far as prepping, you, you got, you're replacing your chicken squad. Yeah. Uh, well, we did have a, a loss to the chicken family. One of our chickens passed. So we replaced it with two baby chicks. Nice. Um, so yeah, we've got those sitting in the kitchen now. The circle of life. But yeah, we've had chickens for years now. But yeah. All right. Anyways, that's kind of where we're at. That's kind of been our two months of Corona. It's, yeah. It's been basically two months at now. At least huh? two months. Yeah. So meanwhile, though, lots of other news stories have slipped through the cracks as we've been focusing on the pandemic. So I feel like we should do a bit of a news update. <laughs> 
going to be fairly easy. I'm giving Derek the fry squinty eyes. Yeah, depression's a big deal during the coronavirus pandemic. So, you know, we're going to keep it easy. But the one story that I did want to hammer home is something that we've talked about in the past on this podcast. And that's kind of the shock doctrine principle, which is that those in power use these crises, both the man-made crises and the natural crises, to further their own agenda, to push through legislation or push through activities that would otherwise be much harder under normal democratic circumstances. And we're seeing this all over the map with the Trump uh, Trump agenda, basically. So uh, the first story here, despite the massive glut of oil that has lowered gas prices everywhere, so I don't know if you've been out and about enough. You, you drive to I work, I still have so. to work. Yeah, the uh, gas prices are much lower. Yeah, the demand has gone way down. The supply is up. So there's a big problem with gas right now, and it's actually lowering the prices. But despite all of that, the Bureau of Public Lands is continuing to auction historically protected lands for development during the crisis. So while we're all stuck at home, you know, we can't go to the national parks, but the public lands can be given away to oil companies right mm-hmm. now, including one of the more controversial ones was a 150,000 acre section of southern Utah, which is opening up to energy companies to mine. Oh. Yeah, and that's a parcels that are located within like a mile of Canyonlands National Park yeah. and these other big places. So. Utah is so pretty and so much natural land out there. It's... Bill McKibben said of this, the idea that it would be critical work to speed up oil production on public lands while the planet drowns in oil tells you all you'd ever want to know about the corruption, both intellectual and actual, of the Trump administration. That's the $350 yeah. guy. So, I mean, that pretty much summed it up. I thought that was a pretty good quote on it. Um, In addition to ramping up oil and gas development on public lands, the Department of Energy announced plans last week to revitalize U.S. uranium mining and processing. Uranium. Wow. Utah again. So such a scheme, say environmentalists, puts uranium-rich Grand Canyon and other national parks in the Bears Ears Monument. I don't know if you follow that. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, they're at risk, though, because those are homes to natural uranium deposits. I don't know if they remember, Utah did some uranium mining a while back, and it didn't go so great. They had a couple problems. Yeah, they've still still got a few uh, toxic uh, <laughs> landfill sites, but most of those are on Navajo land, so we're just going <laughs> to... God. God. Uh, the other big problem with uranium mining is that it's a huge water drain. Mm-hmm. Like, all mining uses tons of water. This is something people don't get, especially in, like, when we're talking about Utah and the southern There's Grand not Canyon, water Arizona. out there. There is no water out there. Um, depending on the method of extraction, a uranium mine can require hundreds or thousands of gallons per minute. So uh, that's a slight dose. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, and we're, of course, in the middle of a historic drought in the southwest as well, right. um, which is only going to get worse as the planet heats up, guys. Oh, it's just, be just a reminder, climate change is still happening. So oh, It's going to get so hot this summer. It's already hot here. We're in Sacramento, and it's already, this weekend in the is 90s. 95, something like that. Yeah. I know that there's a cold snap going through on the, on the east coast somewhere. Uh, it started to snow somewhere, but it's been nice and warm here in Southern California. Well, I wouldn't California. say nice. I'd say it's a it's little warm. It's too warm. Too warm. Too quick. But either way, yeah, water, big deal with the uranium mining. In March, the BLM announced a proposal that would allow the destruction of large parcels of pinyon and juniper forests. Hold without... on a second. BLM, that's Land Management. Bureau of Land Management. Bureau of Land Management. Yep. Uh, so they're going to be able to just uh, basically bulldoze parcels of pinyon and juniper forests in like Nevada, mm-hmm. which are, if you've ever driven through Nevada, it's one of those deserts that, you know, at first looks really desolate, but then you step out of your car and you actually get down into it and you see that there are these pockets of these uh, pinion and juniper forests, which are really biologically diverse and important, and they just get bulldozed over for development. Well, most deserts, it feels, you're like, oh, what is this wasteland? We don't need any of it. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's important to some other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that the rules were re- uh, relaxed on that. And then at the end of March, the Department of Transportation and the EPA announced plans to roll back automobile... F- automobile... Automobile? <laughs> yeah, automobile fuel efficiency standards that would have increased the average fuel efficiency of American vehicles by more than six miles per gallon. Uh, referred to by the EPA as, quote, the largest deregulatory initiative of the administration... The reduction in fuel efficiency standards will result in close to a billion additional tons of carbon uh, emissions this year. Yep. Days before that announcement, though, the EPA also stated that it would suspend enforcement of environmental regulations during the COVID-19 outbreak. Well, we already knew they were allowing for a bunch of BS because they're saying, oh, well, anything goes. It's just the the catch-all. Well, it's COVID, you know, and they can just say whatever has to be done. So during the crisis, which some experts are saying might last as long as two years... Everything from like oil refineries to small manufacturers are being told to self-monitor 
uh, and avoid penalties for violations of self monitoring. Yeah. So corporations have often done a very good job of self monitoring. Yes, they're always very, very good at you know making sure that they're not dumping PG&E sludge. PG&E into... is really as a, a history of doing what's right for the people it's supposed to serve. Yeah, I don't know if you saw just the other day uh, there was a PG&E related thing where we basically forgave two hundred million in debt that PG&E owes the state. Yeah, you just go ahead and keep on. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> yeah. When they got fined all that money, we were thought at least they'll be paying. And it wasn't even that much money, yeah, Derek. For them, it wasn't. And then, of course, now they're not even paying that back. But Spesters. we're getting off topic now. Good times. Good times. Thank you. Uh, the one last example here. The federal agency that provides oversight for commercial nuclear sector is currently attempting to push through a rule change that will allow dangerous amounts of radioactive material to be disposed of in, like, regular old municipal landfills. Okay. Didn't so, we just have a great HBO series about radio, like... Chernobyl? Chernobyl! Come on, guys! It's a hot button right now. Uh, but yeah, so right now, obviously, if you have some new radioactive waste, Corinne, you can't just throw it in the dump. you got to throw it in the gotta, backyards gotta of the of native yeah. people. Yeah, you got to take care of it in special processed ways. Uh, but, you know, that's Throw just it in the water system. Oh, government... Oh, government overreach is what that is. <laughs> Too much government. And uh, on the same lines, we've talked about how uh, the criminalization of environmental protests has been increasing over the years. So after the yeah. Dakota Access Pipeline protests, we saw tons of states try and enact legislation to criminalize those sort of things. And we're seeing a push here in March and April of exactly those sorts of legislation, which are fairly unpopular. So a lot of them were proposed and then defeated. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, you know, kind of working their way through the legislature. And right here, as the people are panicking over COVID-19, four states have pushed through legislation in March that would criminalize protest. Crim protesting is, is practically already criminalized at this point. Yeah, so Alabama, Kentucky, South Dakota, which had already done it, and West Virginia enacted measures in March just as states started implementing lockdowns. Uh, so again, these are little stories that have slipped through the craps, or <laughs> Maybe basically, yeah. Well, it's a Freudian slip. Yeah, basically slipped through the cracks while we've all been focused on the the COVID nineteen crisis, and, and we literally so can't people. leave our homes. Yeah, you can't leave your homes uh, to also, go protest this. Yeah, just crazy times. Unless you're a white person. Yeah. What? It's the white people mad that they can't go to Macy's. Yeah, Applebee's. <laughs> Give me my Applebee's. Do I'm, these people not know they can get it delivered to their homes right yeah. now? Or Everything. This, you want anything, it'll be delivered to your house. All the I, I just want a haircut signs. Ugh, can't stand just it. Just grow out your ugly hair. But we're going to be moving on from that, though. We're Are gonna, we? Yeah, we're going to take a, take a little trip to the Amazon, Corinne. Oh, good. Always good things happening there. Because it's not just the United States who's using the coronavirus uh, epidemic to roll back environmental regulations. We're not original. Yeah, we're not the only ones doing it. We've talked in the past about uh, the president of Brazil and his plans to basically burn the Amazon to cinders to build the eco economy of the country. Right. Well, he's keeping going with that during this coronavirus crisis. Deforestation in Brazilian Amazon rose more than 50% over the first three months of 2020 compared to the same three months of 2019. I have a question here. Yeah. Don't these people realize there's a finite amount of land that they can do this to? Eventually they'll run out of it? Yeah, but not during this guy's administration. That'll be somebody else's problem. I, I mean, yeah, I get it. But come on. Okay, keep going. So either way, so the president has uh, constantly talked about how he wants to open up uh, indigenous lands in uh, Brazil for, you know, mining and logging and whatever else. And, you know, he basically has lowered protections for the lands. And this has also caused more people to incur on, you know, sovereign indigenous land in the Amazon. And now they're bringing with them the virus. This is especially difficult. So you've got really low contact tribes in the Amazon. Oh, yeah. Who are very small in number. So you've got maybe 50 people in the group, right? Mm -hmm. And if one of them catches coronavirus. Everyone's getting it. Exactly. So this could be an incredibly devastating thing for some of the last indigenous, you know, people. Oh, boy. This sounds very familiar. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> I've heard this story a time or two. Uh, yeah. So um, there are stories about you know, basically the danger that is happening now as we open up these lands to more, you know, not just the deforestation and the, you know, the literally giving them smallpox blankets again. Basically. Great. Yeah. Great. <sighs> so that's, that's the end of that story, Corinne. Don't know what else to tell you about. You that. You know what? This is all prefaced by you making me watch a depressing movie before I came over here. Yeah. So... We're going to get to that movie later. That's at the end. That's our nonsense section. We're that still in was... the news. We're still in the news, Corinne. That was not. You want to talk about Florida? Kinda. We got. <laughs> 
two stories in Florida. Are any of them about alligators? No, Damn neither it. are about alligators, unfortunately. Or Tiger King. I, I haven't been able to watch that. <laughs> I watched the first episode and was not even finished it. I was like, this is so Florida. And yeah. some of it's not even in Florida. <laughs> sure. It is all, it, it's hard as in Florida. And it's just so messy. I can't. Give me some real housewives in New York. I can't handle this tiger stuff right now. <laughs> All right. Well, neither one is about Tiger King. So first story right. is about wildfires. How's your geography, Corinne? We Bad. know it's terrible. We... The panhandle of Florida. You know what part that is? Yeah, so Florida's... the stick out that goes towards the east. Yeah, well, toward I guess towards the the part that you know shoots out towards Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah, that would be west of Florida. But, well, you know, it starts... Okay, sure. Either way. Depending on which way you're looking at it, it should be shooting out east. <laughs> okay. The panhandle. Yeah. We know what it is. Uh, it's on fire. It's Florida. Yeah. Keep it so going. So drought conditions have been expanding across the state since the beginning of the year, with 78% of the state currently experiencing abnormal dryness to severe drought. It's a pretty good percentage of it. Uh, this has led to some serious wildfires. Several fires burning throughout the panhandle region have scorched thousands of acres of wood, raised dozens of structures, including homes, and forced some 2,000 people to evacuate from their neighborhoods. Now imagine having to evacuate from your home while stay-at-home orders are yeah, in place. Yeah, how does that work? Not great. I can't imagine. So again, this is you know this sort of like multiplying catastrophes right. we've talked about so many times on this show, where it's like all of a sudden you've got this climate change causing wildfires in the panhandle on top of a pandemic, on top of whatever else. And in fact, this week, the second story that we're going to have here from Florida is that southern Florida, so the very tip of Florida, not the panhandle section, is about to experience massive rain. So they're preparing for a deluge, which could drop a month's worth of rain in 24 hours, hmm. which is just more than... So like, again, when rain gets super concentrated like that, that's a classic sign of the climate change. So as the atmosphere heats up, the atmosphere can hold more water and dump more water in a single dose than it used to. So you get these superstorms. So again, classic climate change scenario here where you have literal wildfires on one half of the state and a deluge yeah. of water on the other half. And the whole thing is sinking under climate or under, you know, sea level rise. So yikes, Florida, stay out of it. Stay also out. there's tigers apparently. Great swimming tigers. And Carol Baskins. Listen, I got to say I haven't seen it. But I'm, I'm pro Carol Baskins. Just because everyone hates her so much, I'm like, something's got to be all right with her. Because I think they're just hating on her because I think cause she's a lady. It sounds like she's trying to protect tigers from what I understand. And that this guy basically said, like, uh, she killed her husband and fed him a tiger. Which is a wild story, even for Florida. And exactly the sort of thing that someone in jail would say. I also think it's something she did, though. You have to watch it. You think she fed I'm her not, husband to tigers? I'm not. What say, evidence of that is listen, there? Listen, I think more people should be fed to tigers. Absolutely. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not against feeding people to tigers. Everybody who in, who, who hasn't who wanted traps, to feed someone to tigers. Anybody who traps tigers should be fed to tigers. However, did you watch the tiger? I've game? seen some of it. I haven't. I've seen more than you. No but. way she fed her husband to tigers. No <laughs> way. I think this is a nice lady, and everybody <laughs> is just mad because she's a lady. All right. That's a hot take. That's a hot take. Haven't seen it yet, but that's my take. We'll see how that plays out. You should watch the rest of it before I don't next think episode. she killed her. Who thinks she killed her husband for Lots real? All right. We're moving on, Corinne. We can't talk about Tiger King. Even though Especially we haven't watched it. we haven't it. even watched it. All right. Next story. Heavy rainfall across Uganda. Oh, man. We're back. So this is a rough one. Oh, can, um, don't we pass? No, we can't pass. <laughs> this is another kind of rough one. So we had talked, I think, the last episode before our self-imposed quarantine exile. Podcast was, quarantine. Uh, about uh, the locust swarms in East Africa. I have some Do you memory remember of that? that, yeah. So locusts were back, uh, and they were destroying crops all over Eastern Africa. Well, while we've been gone, Eastern Africa has experienced some severe flooding. So heavy rainfall across Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, and Somalia has resulted in widespread flooding and leading to hundreds of deaths across the region. Uh, the BBC reports that 194 people in Kenya and 16 people in Somalia have been killed by the flooding, and that heavy rain on Wednesday into Thursday has taken the lives of 72 people in Rwanda. So serious flooding again in this region that had just been hit by the locusts, and now they're reporting that a second wave of locusts are about to come. So the flooding itself has destroyed over 8,000 
acres of crops, which are vital. And then the locusts. And then the locusts before this had already done work. And then this is the second it's wave. It's going to kill off whatever's left. And the second one, I was reading about this. So the massive flooding is hitting East Africa, right? As the second swarm is coming in. Uh, we discussed the role of climate change during the first swarm. And the second generation of pests is what the second swarm is. So the first locust reproduced and had oh, okay, a second swarm. So, so they basically they basically are hatching and about to swarm themselves. And the way that the numbers work is that there's way more. So this second swarm, people who study this stuff at the UN Food and Agricultural Organization say that locust swarms multiply by a factor of 20 per generation. Oh, wow. So practically, this means that there are probably trillions of locusts in the second swarm. And they also estimate that this swarm is about 400 times stronger than the first. So I guess these locusts will be more... Uh, aggressive, more, more genetically guess. diverse. Well, they'll be hungrier. Oh God. Yeah, so that's not great. Um, so governments have warned, uh, along with the UN, that the locust threat, along with the flooding, could be s- causing some severe food shortages throughout Eastern Africa. And that's just rough. I don't know what else to say about that. That's that's tough times. So, I don't have and again, these are stories that we're not hearing at all because we're stuck hearing about freaking white Tiger people King. arguing about uh, whether or not they need to wear masks at Applebee's. <laughs> This I is... have heard a little bit about the deadly hornet. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, we didn't. I didn't even put that one on here. Maybe we should talk. I think we I already think we... mentioned murder hornets. We talked about when they first invaded because it's not a new story. We talked about the Japanese hornet when it first showed up in the West, in the. But we didn't give it a huge hype. It's yeah. been hyped up in the last few weeks. So you can't have been on the internet in the last week and not seen someone talking about murder hornets. Yeah. I'm not worried about it at all. This is a perfect example of uh, a story that gets overhyped by the media. Um, murder hornets are here. They've been here for a little bit. They got somehow showed up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they are bad. They're not going to be great, but they also can be killed by honeybees. They can be killed by other natural predators. Bees themselves can kill them. Cause I yeah. thought that hornets were killing the bees. They are killing the bees, but the bees will like, they, you can watch a video of it. They'll swarm the hornet and like s- cover it. Go bees. And then like by covering it and vibrating, they heat it up and basically cook it alive. Damn, bees like, are the, cool. Yeah, bees are really cool. You want to go see my beehives? No, I don't want to get close to them or okay. anything, but I respect their space, which I think they prefer. Bees are really good. One of the things they do is they regulate the temperature of their hive by, you know, expanding it and contracting like vibrating in it or whatever. Um, but they do this and they, because they can withstand temperature that's like two degrees hotter than the hornet, mm. they basically just sous vide the hornet. In Brilliant. Bee. Yeah, so. And then you did show me an image of a praying mantis eating the head yeah so i mean murder hornets are here if you see one stay away from it but you probably won't even see one because they're very very new invasive species in the northwest we did talk about that a couple months ago though so barely even registers in my brain now yeah too much terribleness but all right let's see other stories i had on here we're going a little lighter right a little lighter now (laughs) i think i had some other stuff but uh damn it let's just stop with the news (laughs) we talk about that thing you made me watch uh, yeah, so we'll move on from news to what we, we often do in news and nonsense, where we talk about some other controversial story in the environmental world. Yeah. And one thing that has been making the rounds this last week or two is the new Michael Moore documentary. He's not heavily featured, but he must have Well, he produced, produced it. it. Yeah, he wasn't in it very much, which is at, a good, all, honestly a good thing. Yeah, uh, nobody wants to really look at Michael Moore. Not anymore. Uh, so it was called Planet of the Humans, mm-hmm. and it is getting a ton of terrible angry reviews from environmentalists Uh, which is funny because it ultimately i think has an environmental message to it even though it's very critical of green energy it seems to me that it's critical i I did watch it Mm -hmm. Uh, it's critical of the idea that it's a lot of the environmental movement has been very co-opted by capitalist companies that are essentially being like we're green the new green they're just using it as a bunch of bs sure um and then you know saying okay we're using clean energy and then you're always like well what does clean energy mean and then you get right down to it and it's you know not helpful at the least it's worse or just as bad or just a different type of terrible and it's the 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 video didn't say there's no environmentalists who are aware of this. There's no environmentalists who are critical of this. There definitely are, especially featured in there that are saying like, well, if you look down into it, this is bad. But I have to say the left is not very good at being critical of itself. Sure. And if you haven't seen the documentary, definitely recommend watching it. It's free. Um, So it was put up on YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and Google Planet of the Humans 
or Michael Moore's website. You can find it there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It's free. It's like an hour and a half or About less. hour 40. Yeah. Uh, so not very long at all. You've got nothing to do. You're sitting around at home anyways. Watch <laughs> Planet of the Humans. Because uh, at the very least, it does bring up some good points. Like you said, it is really kind of critical of green energy. And we've been critical of green energy on this podcast. And I've personally been involved in environmentalism for quite some time and been very critical of green energy for a lot of these reasons that he lays out very, very clearly in the in the movie. And, you know, part of it is basically that it relies on industrial production. So it goes over very clearly how in order to build a solar panel, you need, you know, quartz and you need iron and aluminum and all these things that are going to be mined and they have to be mined in open pit mines and burned and processed. And like, there's no way to do any of that sustainably. Right. Right. Show me a green strip mine and then we can show you some green energy that's actually green. Right. Right. Um, And then it gets into the idea of what you're using it for. So, like, the big problem for all green energy, like, even if a lot of people are trying to get down into the weeds of some of the claims of the movie. So, like, it talks about how ineffective wind production is. And the reality is it's not as effective as its proponents really think it is. But even if if it's more effective than the, the movie claims, even if you can produce wind at a better rate than... You know, there. Let's say you could get your entire economy working on truly green technology, you know, wind farms and solar panels or whatever else. And let's say they were actually green. What those forms of energy are powering is often just as destructive as the energy itself. Hmm. And so it kind of goes into there's a line in the movie that I really liked. Let me see if I can find it. I wrote it down. Uh, that green energy is often desperate measures not to save the planet, but to save our way of life. Yeah. And so the movie really puts the onus on two things. It puts it on consumer consumption, right? And on population. Right. So it does hey, bring we, that up. So, And this is where a lot of the criticism of this movie comes from, is people caught the fact that it talks about population and throws population ahead of green energy. It says, hey, this is a bigger problem. Yeah. And that's the third rail of environmental politics. You can't We've talk about... We've already discussed yeah. how that's a difficult subject to, to even bring up. And I think I get that... I think we understand. Yes, it's hard to tell people that they cannot produce other people. And it's a weird controlling someone else's body. But then there's this aspect that they do mention is like, well, why does big business want us to have so many kids? Because they want an infinite number of abilities to sell shit to people. They sure. want to make money. They want more people. So if we kept our population at a reasonable number... Number, it would limit their ability to make money. And I think that, you know, the movie's been criticized, and I think probably correctly so, for not really having a diversity of voices, especially if you're talking about something like population. Mm-hmm. Everyone talking about it was it. an old white guy. Oh, absolutely. And so, like, in that sense, it's not a good look. You should have some other people talking about it, and you should, you know, be aware of that kind of privilege there. But that said, no matter how you slice it up, we have billions more people on this planet then it can reasonably be expected to hold. The only people talking in that movie were white people. Yes, which is terrible. So, th- I mean, there true. are legitimate criticisms for the movie. Absolutely. But I do think it, it's getting way... Like, people are coming out and condemning it, like the Sierra Club and 350.org. Well, it's very critical of It's very of critical the of Bill Club. McKibben yes. and lots of Big Green for taking money. And Al money. Gore. Yeah. And, and it should be. I mean, a lot of this stuff is not wrong. Like, we've been critical of 350.org on this podcast for some of the same reasons. Um, I do think it goes after bill mckibben maybe a bit too hard because i think that a lot of these people have the right intentions and i think Mm -hmm. it's difficult i think that they point out the difficulty of trying to find some sort of green capitalism which is really kind of impossible and i think it points that out if it does point that out and i think it's something that we've touched on before which is that some people can be wrong in one thing but they're not just disposed of because of that sure and and i think that's a lot of something that happens on the left a lot is if you fall outside the bounds of what the left has determined as their acceptable moving forward you're completely trashed and so that's why people are fighting back and again well you can't say that about you know this person because we need him in our movement and so if he's outside of what we consider acceptable, then we have to throw him away. This sort of like purity thing. It's where totally it's, you have to a be... purity thing. And nobody is pure like that. Nobody. You can create a pure online presence. I could pretend to be pure, right? Not with this podcast, but with like, online, I, I, I look pure, right? Like I'm no, I don't have any kids. I can say whatever I want, but people aren't really that way. Uh, and I think that's something that the left really struggles with and, and, with this movie, I think it really pushes against people's ability to be like, okay, well, this person's done things wrong. Should I not <laughs> like anything that uh, 350 uh, organization does? Like, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah. 
I think that they actually touched on it for a minute. They talked about how this is they there was an interview in there where the the filmmaker was kind of like this is kind of like the left's religion in a way. Yes. Yeah. Where like they see renewables and green energy as this sort of like holy grail, and when you start to criticize it. It's yes. it's the same way when you knock someone's foundation, like when you start talking about religion yes. to a very religious person, like they often just stick their fingers in their ear. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to mm-hmm. kind of self-analyze. But here's the thing. People who are religious have a much better ba- basis on it because they can say, well, that's not how I view it or that's not how I see God. You can really break down sustainable energy and really prove it wrong. Yeah. I can't prove there isn't a God. I can't. Nobody but you can. you can prove that windmills are bullshit. But you can <laughs> prove that, you know, solar energy, it doesn't necessarily totally fully cut it, you know? So... Yeah. Either way, it's an important movie to watch. I think that anyone who cares about these things, whether you end up agreeing or disagreeing with a lot of what the movie thinks or, or you know, kind of shows, I think it's wor- definitely worth thinking about. And I, for one, didn't find much wrong with Like I said, I did find that they didn't have enough voices on it. There weren't really any solutions as well. No solutions. Um, which I always find is frustrating. I mean, it's very difficult to come up with solutions when you're naming the real problems, though. Sure. The real problems of, you know, having too many people, of, cons- of consuming way too much stuff, and of industrial society as just being massively destructive inherently. Right. It's hard to come up with uh, real solutions there that you can fit into a, an hour-long mm-hmm. video. But the reality is they brought up some really serious questions that we should be thinking about before we just... And, it, you know, it brought up the fact that, you know, we've been pushing green energy for 30 or 40 years, and every year we get less and less sustainable. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a real disconnect that I think people have to start thinking about before we just drive this truck off the cliff. We need to get better at being critical of what we're doing. Yeah. I think that's something that the left has a really big problem with. They refuse to be critical of themselves. They refuse to look at it with any sense of logic on many fronts. We need to be more logical, which is really frustrating. We have to be way more efficient because the time is so short for any effective action. Yeah. Um, so we need to really make sure that what we're doing is, is effective. Not throwing up a bunch of dirt into the ozone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, that's, I guess, kind of all I had to say on it. I don't know if you had anything more. No, I mean, I thought it was good. I, I also noticed, I was like, I'm not seeing a lot of people who aren't white. Yeah. <laughs> there was a few women who spoke in it, but it was, you know, pretty old typical white men of for the most old, old white men and, and older white women as well. Um, and then in the background scenes, I, the one thing I don't really like about documentaries is when they kind of show like a scene where you don't really know what the background of it is, you know, like, yeah. what what is this image of? Is this the Dakota pipeline thing? And so in that you would see like a couple of people who weren't white because it was the Dakota um, protests and you're like, and when I saw that, I was like, oh man, they really have only been showing people of color it as really background images how, yeah. that are not really given any sort of explanation as to what you're seeing well no voice in the movie no voice and there's just scene, an image there's a, a scene at the weird. end the, the, orangutan. the orangutan i didn't they go too. on for like 20 minutes because they had talked about biofuel and so this was a palm oil plantation but they didn't which are destroying that. the uh borneo rainforest and, and the orangutan habitats yeah so like if i loosely mean, related why but it's like a 10 it's a long scene of just the, it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking you're watching this, an orangutan die yeah and i mean it's terrible but like again there's no vo- it really point like the people there are like the frontline people who have to deal with this and you know like they have no real voice like you spend an hour and a half talking to a bunch of old white people about it and then you actually have people living in the destructed lands mm-hmm. you know living with the the destruction phase first and you don't let them talk yeah so like sure. yeah there's a there's some serious criticisms of the movie but it's definitely worth i think an hour of your time to watch yeah so watch it if you haven't seen it it's free you don't even have to download it or anything it's just on youtube you don't have to give any money to this yeah, yeah. so definitely worth well definitely something to help you think about it or get your mind you know as we're waiting for season two of tiger king <laughs> well then they release an extra episode i don't know <laughs> okay so that was uh, that's our nonsense segment for the day i guess watch uh planet of the humans and now we've got our prepper segment we're gonna go whole hog today corinne <sighs> Big, oh, man. big I'm time. I'm going to need a second soda. Big time episode. <laughs> Get another one of those around yeah. here. <laughs> got any more of that? Yeah, there's two of them in there. All right, I'm going. It's been a long, extra long podcast, but we're going to keep <laughs> going. we got one last actual preparedness segment, which is on topic for what lots of people are doing right now. We're going to do Panic Gardening 101. So basically, you're going to tell us about what your last three weeks have been like. <laughs> Well, I already had some of a garden set up. So but this now is like, this is the panicking portion. Yeah. So what we have noticed, uh, you know, around the U.S., and I'm sure not just the U.S., is that once the 
quarantines hit and people started realizing there were going to be some problems and maybe some food shortages. And a lot of time on their hands. Some of the first things that ran out were garden plants. So seeds, little uh, potted vegetables, the starters or whatever, mm -hmm. they were gone like that. Yeah. And, you know, people that were buying seeds for seed companies, a friend of mine that runs a landscape company that, you know, buys seeds or whatever, mm -hmm. he said that, like, suppliers had already, you know, seen, you know, panic buys of all sorts of stuff. And so tons of people have started to go back to gardening, which is, I think, a really good habit. Sure. So it's one of those classic preps that's not even really a prep because it used to be everyone gardened. Right. Right. We used to, everybody had at least some sort of garden. And this was very recently. Even we grew up with some garden. Yeah. Even up until the, like the fifties, you would have, you know, people, you know, and during World War II, people had their victory gardens. So a lot of people mm -hmm. are comparing, you know, coronavirus gardens to the victory gardens. And I think not there's as some... good of a name as victory garden. No. They need to rebrand that. But I think that there's some, uh, there's some benefit to, I think people are realizing the benefits that they can make sure that they have a secure food supply. And beyond that, it's obviously intensely local. You can control, you know, what's going into your food. Obviously, it's way more better for the planet if you grow food in your backyard. I do think that this was already sort of um, coming, uh, becoming popular with sort of the trend. I don't know if it was pin the, the egg or the chicken, right, with Pinterest and the going back to like crafting and doing your own homemade foods. And sure. So I think gardening was already seen an increase in interest of people and now just And then, yeah, the virus hit and it just, yeah, exponentially. And so it, and there have been tons of articles on it or whatever. So we're going to kind of do a quick Panic Gardening 101. Right. So like how to kind of go from zero garden to having something in a garden. I have zero garden. I and have so, zero yard. I was going to say, a few months ago, you had bought a basil plant. So long gone, I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go great. Listen, I either overwater it, over sun it, or under, under sun it. Yeah. Those are the big things. So the first thing you want to do is obviously think about what area you can grow uh, food in or what your realistic options are. So it's always best not to jump into the deep end with something like this. You get frustrated and give up and never go back. Yeah. So a lot of people recommend, so the Farmer's Almanac recommends 16 by 10 foot plot, Ooh. which isn't a huge plot, when, but it's big enough for a beginner gardener to have some issue, you know, to, to deal with. A lot of people recommend about 100 square feet if you're really serious of gardening space. 16 by 10 sounds huge to me. 16 feet by 10 feet? <laughs> yeah. It's like my apartment. <laughs> yeah. It's a couple of raised beds. So yeah. it's not the biggest in the world, but yeah, it's a lot of space. But again, for a lot of people that might not be feasible. So really think about what is feasible. So if you live in an apartment, you don't have access to an outside area, you might have just a Herbs. patio. <laughs> so you might think, okay, well, I could do a couple of potted plants, maybe, you know, a little kind of tray for some vegetable plants, or mm -hmm. maybe I could just grow lettuce or something, mm -hmm. or herbs or vegetable. You know, maybe I can't really get a ton of vegetables out there, but I can get something. Yeah. So think about what's actually possible in your area and where you can do it. Um, the other things you should think about there is location. So you might be able to, you might not have a yard that has a ton of shade, you know, that's too shady. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're thinking about like the prime area for a garden, you want something that's going to get sun eight to 10 hours a day, pretty much minimum. You want it, the more sun out of the day, the better. But isn't too much sun bad? Uh, it can be if you're in like really harsh places. So like here, sometimes in the summer, certain plants you might need to shade. Mm. But you want it to get like 10 hours of sun. Pretty okay. good. So it should be pretty sunny. Okay. Uh, for the most part, it's easier to deal with m limiting sun, putting like a shade screen on. Because so you could just put a, something over it. Yeah, yeah, then to try and get more sun. Okay. So... If you have a nice sunny spot, luckily my garden, my backyard is, our, our house is south facing. And so our backyard gets sun and on one half of it all day, basically. So it's in a nice, nice, super sunny spot. But yeah, so think about where you can put it, what's realistic as far as space goes and err on the side of maybe a little less. I know that a lot of people want to kind of suddenly become way more food secure, but it's going to be difficult. So think about what's realistic. That way you have actual realistic expectations. So you're probably not going to feed a family of four immediately off of your garden but you may be able to get some lettuce for half the year or you may be able to get some stuff to do and it's a good start right you can always expand after the fact you're not going to suddenly be as good of a farmer as actual farmers yeah, so, so calm down start first. small and then move from there yeah. right make sure the land that you're going to use as flat as possible so if you are using an outside space a lot of people talk about converting their front yard, which is a ballsy move if it's your first garden. Yeah, but everyone will see your shame. Yeah, but front yards are also often sloped. Yeah, that's true. If you're going to be using a front yard space, try and find a way to flatten it or terrace it or, or whatever you're going to do. Or I guess grow wine. <laughs> so <laughs> slopes are generally not 
great because of the water runs off and doesn't stay where you put it. Yeah. Try and find a flat spot or a way to make it flatter. Consider ease of access to the area. So you want an area that's easy to get to. Right outside your back door is great. Your that's why container gardening is so nice sometimes because it's right on your windowsill, right on your patio where you can just walk out and get it. So if you're growing an herb garden, but your rosemary is three miles from your front door. You're never going to use it. Exactly. So yeah. make sure it's close. Like right outside of our front door is literally where we have our rosemary. Three huge rosemary <laughs> plants that we, even our Speaking neighbor. Speaking of, I need to steal some of your rosemary. Yeah. Our neighbor comes over and steals it. I'll see him out in my yard clipping rose. You, you have a him. deal. <laughs> yeah. We let him come over and take it, but still he'll come out and clip some rosemary off of it. But yeah, whenever we need it for cooking, I just walk out the front door literally snip snip and right back inside so think about ease of access to what you where, where you're going to plant yeah also as far as ease of access goes a lot of people talk about raised bed gardening mm-hmm. this is ideal because it's easy to get started it's a little bit higher up off the ground it so it doesn't wreck really your back cool it contains it it's nice it's not a hundred percent necessary <laughs> but it's also it's it's a nice way to do it so if you have a little bit extra time think about a way to raise it up a bit but you don't have to you can most places the soil is going to be good enough to just kind of do it especially uh, if you live in sacramento right yeah which is step two prepare your soil so if it's in your backyard the first thing you need to do is get rid of the grass and this can be done in a couple of ways the easiest way to do it is sheet mulch uh, which is basically covering the grass until it dies. You can do this with old newspaper or cardboard boxes mm. are a great way to do oh, it. Oh, God, I remember this Everybody's, phase of your yard. That yeah. was horrible. Well, everybody's got all the Amazon delivery boxes. <laughs> uh, what you need to do is get rid of all of the tape that's on it, and then you can lay them flat on the yard, water it down really good, and then just weigh it down so it's just sitting on top of the yard. Can and, confirm it kills Derek's yard perfectly. Yeah, it will kill everything that's underneath it pretty good after a couple of months it'll take some time so if you want to get started right away you can sheet mulch an area and then put your raised bed on top of it so you can literally put the box on top fill the box with new soil and then eventually the cardboard will disintegrate underneath oh, it okay so that's something you can do if you need to get started right away otherwise it's going to take a couple months to get rid of that soil we're going to want to get started right away derek this is yeah. panic garden gardening so if you are you know needing to get it right away you've really got to rip up the soil uh rip up the dirt or the grass or whatever is there um yeah which is not ideal because it does take off that nice topsoil mm. where all the stuff is growing and all the like microbes are so if you end up ripping out the so- the, the grass you're going to want to amend the soil and you probably want to amend your soil anyways uh, another way to get rid of grass again if you have a couple of months especially in the summer this is super effective is solarizing this will kill everything solarizing is really good if you have a big weedy spot that you're going to turn into a garden so especially if you have some of those like weeds that are impossible to get out like bermuda grass or whatever Mm. basically shave the ground down to very very low like mow it down on the lowest setting water it all real good and then cover it in like white tarp like white like plastic sheeting why white uh because it you know basically because it heats it up any other any other sheeting will do but they generally sell it as white okay but basically cover it down you know put rocks to hold the sheeting down and basically it'll cook it Mm. it'll basically cook everything that's growing in the first couple inches of the soil and kill it all dead so it's a really good way to get rid of invasive weeds if you have that Um, but does also kill all them things that are in your soil so good stuff too right yeah so when you do get rid of it you do want to get all that material out but amend it with other nice things so if you do have just a nice empty plot you know till it up and then fold in some nutrients so some good things you can use potting soil you can go to home depot and buy pre-made like there's nothing wrong with that right there's nothing wrong with it it's expensive Mm. so buying a ton of it for a raised bed buying 100 square feet of that soil can be cost prohibitive okay so it's maybe best to use your own soil if you have it um, and then just amend it. So take your own ground soil, which was good enough to grow grass. So it's generally going to be good enough to grow a number of vegetables and add in some fertilizer. Go to Home Depot and buy some manure, buy some compost to mix up in there. This is another good reason to compost. So you can amend your soil with home composting. Doing things like that, just, you know, kind of mix it up in there. So your soil is a little bit nicer pH than it you know would might be regularly. Okay. Yeah, generally speaking, if the area where you're going to grow the food already has a ton of stuff growing, so if grass and weeds and stuff are growing there pretty well right now, soil is probably good enough to grow 90% of vegetables. Hmm. If there's nothing growing there right now, you might want to try and figure out why nothing's growing there. <laughs> What's uh, happening here? Exactly. So oftentimes the pH of the soil is really bad. You live on uh, top of uranium. Yeah, you're living on a uranium mine. 
Uh, you are on Mars, sorry. Uh, but no, uh, so some people recommend doing a pH test. If you're really panic gardening, find a place where something's already growing and just remove that Go and plant what you want to grow, basically. Yeah. But yeah, get your soil ready. Making me really want to buy a house and get some land, Eric. Yeah, well, I mean, but again, if you're doing it on your patio, container gardening is really all you've got. So buy some pots or get some. You can find stuff on Craigslist. I always have a hard time finding pots. They always seem to go for like looks as opposed to actual utility. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, does there holes in the bottom of this for drainage? And none of them ever have that. Like, yeah. what is the deal with that? So yeah, finding pots can be an issue. I mean, obviously your garden supply stores will sell them. Yeah. Um, they can be a little pricey. Can so- you even go to them right now? Yeah, okay. a lot of them are open, okay. at least in California. I don't know everywhere else. Use your social distancing. But again, a lot of them sell out right now. So Craigslist, neighbors, find some people that already do have pots. A lot of people have leftover pots in their ugly backyards. Ones, yeah. Ugly ones, yeah. doesn't matter what they look like. Right. But yeah, fill it up with potting soil. So that might be something you could do. And then you've got already got perfect soil. All right, the next step, selecting the veggies you're going to grow or selecting what you're going to grow. Again, this is based on limited area, but there are tons of great resources online. The first step to figuring out what you're going to grow is determining your growing regional zone. So some things just simply will not grow where you are. If you're in Montana and you're going to try and grow bananas, you're going to have a hard time. If you're in California, you can grow everything, right? We can grow pretty much everything here. <laughs> There's a couple in the of cold Valley. weather things that don't go- do as great. But yeah, even still, you know, amending a few things, you can grow pretty much everything where we are. But again, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. determines what you can reasonably expect to grow easily. Okay. That said, certain things grow pretty well everywhere. Okay. And some of the easiest to grow vegetables include tomatoes great we already talked about zucchini they Love just make it. you feel like a pro <laughs> lettuce super easy to grow super again it's a useful thing right yeah cucumbers super great. easy to grow make your own pickles uh root vegetables so pretty much anything that comes from a root it's fairly easy to grow so carrots, carrots potatoes beets, potatoes radishes parsnips sweet potatoes sweet potatoes all those things are pumpkins very, pumpkins are not a root not no they're oh, a, gourd. A, seed. Yeah. a gourd the gourds are fairly simple too okay. but i'm um, you know the other thing about these things that you want to grow, grow things that you're going to eat. Like right. beans are really easy to grow. Like uh, they're really simple to grow. Like green beans? Yeah, like green beans, string beans, whatever. Yeah. But if you don't actually eat them or if well, you don't what I want was to eat them. Thinking about your list is I eat all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that's the other aspect to picking your things. Pick a couple of things and you don't have to pick a ton. Maybe just pick some le- different types of lettuce that you like and one or two tomato bushes to start. If you're doing container gardening, that might fill up your whole patio. Yeah. But... The nice thing about it is you will eat it. Right. And because you're going to want to eat it, you're going to be excited about it and you're going to expand next year. You're like, oh, you know what I could do is do some extra. Do some of I this. Can I could throw carrots. some arugula next year. Do yeah. whatever. So start with foods that you actually want to eat and grow those. Obviously, this varies by time of year and region and all these things. But oh, your light exposure. Yeah. There's generally something that you can grow at any time in the year. That is something you might want to eat. Do I see radishes listed on there? Radishes are super easy to grow. I have a hard time. What do you eat radishes? That's, a, that's exactly I it. Never... I was going to mention that. You put them when in salads? When I first started gardening, and I heard radishes, super easy to grow. I had radish seeds. I put them out there. I grew a bunch of radishes. They were like the first thing. And they're also very quick to grow. Yeah. So like the first thing I pulled out of my garden was a couple of radishes. So I was like, hell yeah, I grew these with my own goddamn hands. Then did you start and eating them? And I was like, them? radishes are garbage. Thank you. <laughs> I ended up suffering through eating one or two of them, but honestly, a couple of the radishes in my yard, I just kind of let them grow to go wild because I didn't want to pick them because I wasn't going to eat them. What do you so, eat them and you just cut them thin and put salad. them in a salad? Some people like them for any number of things. Some <sighs> people love radishes and more power to them. But for me, that's not, even though they're a really simple, really easy root vegetable that you can grow pretty much anywhere. If you don't eat it, what's the point? Exactly. Okay. So pick some stuff that you want to eat. Be reasonable with the amount, but pick some stuff that you want to eat that you can grow right away. Now, growing right away. There's a couple of options. The cheapest option is, of course, growing from seeds. Hard to find right now. Hard to find right now, but generally speaking, they are there. Also, seeds are good for a long time. So if five years ago you got the urge and bought a pack of zucchini seeds still okay. that you never used, it is most likely still okay. I have some stuff that sprout. So I planted some watermelon in my garden the other day from seeds from 2012. Is it those ones that I bought you? I bought you a big pa- yeah, pack. Yeah, it's from a pack that you bought me years ago. If your seeds have been stored properly, basically in a dark place, not too hot, not too cold. So like inside in a, in a drawer. In your garage. In your garage. Yeah. They're probably fine. Okay. Like... You might not get a 100% germination rate, but you'll probably you get, get... 70. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get 
pretty much what they are. And like we're talking like 10 years before you see any real noticeable difference. So if you have some random seeds from a long time ago, and most people kind of do, mm-hmm. you can do that. If you can't find seeds, obviously the already started plants, the little tiny pots that you can get at Nothing wrong Home with Depot. that. Nothing wrong with that. What's nice about that is it's, you know, the plant's already started. It's working. <laughs> it's already there, right? All you got to do is not kill it. Uh, and transplant, which is harder sometimes. than it looks. But they're already there. It's quicker that way. So you don't have to wait for the seed to germinate and pop up. You know, the plant's already started. So you can get to food quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, they are slightly more expensive. So obviously with seeds, you're talking like $2 for a packet, which can you know, last you a couple of years. Yeah. Or you're talking 5 bucks for a potted, you know, right. thing or more, depending on the size. So more expensive to buy the starters. Other options, uh, growing from waste is one that a lot of people are talking about. So again, panic buying. You can't buy seeds, can't buy the starters. They're all out. you got some leftover food that was going bad. There are plenty of things that can be grown from waste. So again, a lot of these are also some of the easiest things to grow. That's good. Potatoes, sweet potatoes, onions, garlics, leeks, celery, carrots, parsnips, beets, any root vegetable really, many lettuces uh, can all be grown from basically their root balls. Or if you have a potato, like we've all seen, we've all gotten up potatoes, left it in the bag, come back two months later and it's got little sprouts on it. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Garden started. I (laughs) actually can garden then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, you've got, you know, the onions that if you leave it a little bit too long, it turns green in the middle, let it go, it'll pop out. Mm -hmm. Garden started, right? So things like that are easy ways to start some of the, and again, if you're buying it to eat, it is something you eat. Mm-hmm. Onions really simple to grow. Another root vegetable. It's really easy to grow. Yeah, I've got a bunch of onions out in my garden right All now. Right. I got walla walla onions. Oh, nice. So, yeah, but anyways, yeah, can make an awesome blossom or yes. whatever. Yeah, outback steakhouse. I'm gonna demand an awesome blossom. <laughs> We're getting off topic. Okay, sorry. Either way, growing from scraps. There's tons of places online you can look up for how to do all this stuff. Um, we're just going to give you the basic resources. Uh, there are tons of books on it, but another option as well, which is a really good one to do if you're just starting to learn to garden is talk to someone who already gardens. Can't go see people right now. Talk to them on the phone. You can often get stuff, you know, you can do the no touch delivery. You can basically like go over, like when I first started, I would talk to one of my aunts who's a big gardener. Um, I've talked to Marie. Yeah. Talked to a couple of other people who know how to garden. They can often give you sprouts. They might have, so like. You often have to thin stuff or you, a lot of things you can grow from cuttings or whatever. Um, so you can start things from there, from what they already have, mm-hmm. which is nice. And what they already have is often, you know, something that grows acceptably there. They've got good advice for you. It's also a way to build kind of a, you know, network in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's another option. But yeah, seeds or starters or oftentimes from cuttings is a great way to get your plant started. Each plant has a different sort of like method for how you got to plant it. Some of them, some seeds need to be certain depths. So read the packet, read the instructions you know, know what you're doing. There's a million resources online, magazines, you know, for dedicated just to gardening, uh, agricultural websites. So like here, UC Davis is a ag college right mm-hmm. next to us. They have a huge master gardener section on their website. Answers any question you ever want to know about gardening, <laughs> anything. You want to grow wine, you want to grow whatever. I love their resource. Nice. Um, it's obviously geared towards Central Valley growing here in Sacramento. But, but probably there's a University of Ag near you. Yeah. Um, they've got great resources. They can often find master gardeners in the in the area who are mm. obviously willing to help. That's one of the nice things about gardening is most people are willing to help. And then the last bit of advice we have for this is keep a journal. Um, this is one that I haven't been 100% on, but it's a good bit of advice that I hear all the time. Like, I should do that. Mm-hmm. And you want to do this for a couple of reasons. The first one is you put in there what you planted and when it's expected to grow. So especially if you're growing from seeds, a lot of times things are like 15 days to germinate, 10 days to germinate. So you plant seeds in there and like a week later, you're like, nothing's popping up. And then you realize, oh wait, I still have five, 10 days before I'm supposed to expect it to pop up. And we are terrible at remembering things. Exactly. So you write it down. Also, it'll tell you how most seed packages will tell you how long tall it's a mature plant. So even, or even a plant potted plant. So if you buy a pepper or something, it might say, you know, 120 days to maturity, right? Well, you write that in the thing and then you don't have to keep the little seed packet around and you'll know when it's ready to, or when it should be pretty close to ready to harvest. And I bet you could probably do this, like take a picture of it on your phone and make a little, uh, Oh, I'm sure there's tons Excel of fancy ways sheet, to do it. Yeah. You can download them. There's a million uh, gardening journals for free on the internet. Printerest, I'm sure just has. It's still not called Printerest. <laughs> what is it? Pinterest. Pinterest has a million things. <laughs> After how long has Pinterest been around? I, you can tell how much I use it. But they're there and they're pretty. They're better it's than true. just scribbles on a notebook, which is what I would have. So then now you've got your stuff planted. So we've 
built the garden. We've planted some stuff. We've taken notes on when it'll be ready. Maintenance. Ooh, that's the hard part. Yeah. Making sure... The other thing you can use with the garden is following when you water, how much, and all mm-hmm. these things. Follow the instructions for the plants. Again, oftentimes on the plant itself or in the seed packet. Why is it so hard when they make it so easy? Right. Um, generally speaking, you want to water early in the morning. Right. Which is good because the leaves dry. Because oftentimes if you water in the middle of the day, especially in the it summer... It evaporates. It, well, it gets so hot, it can you know scorch the plants. Mm. So... You want to water in the morning so that the leaves are dry, but the ground is wet so that when the plant needs the moisture in the afternoon, it can pull it in from the ground. Um, but, you know, how much water different plants, like different amounts and things like that. Uh, keeping out weeds is a big deal. So weeding your garden. One of the nice things about a raised bed is you do get a little less weeds, but you never get zero. Hmm. So uh, making sure you're on top of that. A nice way to keep out weeds is putting down mulch, uh, a layer of, you know, Something, some people use, you know, the black tarp paper, or if you really have an issue with it, oftentimes just hay or, you know, local mulch is good for just kind of keeping stuff down. But honestly, grass clippings. Any, you like, probably still have a grass in your front yard. Yeah, plant material. Basically, you want plant material that's not going to grow in there, obviously, that's going to kind of sit on top and prevent some other stuff from growing. What that'll do is a couple of things. It'll prevent weeds from popping up. It also keeps the soil dr- uh, wetter, mm. so it protects it from the sun so it doesn't scorch and dry out. Uh, which means your watering is a little more effective. Mm-hmm. So uh, mulching is a great deal. And then, of course, you can the mulch will descend, you know, basically decompose and add organic material to your soil, which is good. So mulching your beds, no matter whether they're on the ground or raised beds, is always good a good idea. idea. And then reap and share. So finally you've grown it. Finally it's ready to, to pick. Definitely pull it out, eat it, and then share some with your neighbors. You're share never going to be able to eat everything at the time that it's right. Sure. If you've got three zucchini plants out there, let me tell you, you've got too much zucchini. You're going to get sick of it. <laughs> you're not even going to like zucchini bread that much. So. so make what you will. You'll reap whatever, however amount you possibly want. Can some of it, right? We've talked about canning mm-hmm. on this podcast before. Preserve some of it for later. That's a great prepper thing. And then share it with friends and family. Find other people neighbors. in your neighborhood who are growing other things and trade. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got some green zucchini. Does anybody have any carrots? Like, honestly, finding other friends who garden in your neighborhood is a great idea. Getting your friends to garden, too, is a great idea. Giving them seed starters. Giving them your zucchini. Saying, then Here, you don't have to start seeds. from scratch with every plant, and they don't either. They don't have to either. And it builds a network of mutual aid. Mm-hmm. It builds local food security because if everyone was growing food in their backyard, guess what? We'd have a lot more food security, right? Yeah. And then it also gives you access to learning. You'll be surprised. You'll find people who have been growing tomatoes for 30 freaking years in yeah. their backyard. And they have lots of information to share with you. So grow and share your bounty. Love it. So that's basically panic gardening. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than this. I'm going to try that basil plant again. <laughs> but that's the basics of it. I mean... Don't be afraid of gardening because it seems difficult. Obviously, it can take years to be a master gardener, but yeah. you, anyone, can grow something. My worry is always I feel like I'm wasting it. I'm like, I'm garbage. I'm going to kill this plant. Well, I'm terrible. I shouldn't do this to this poor plant and take it home and kill it. It deserves better than that. You're going to go buy another basil plant? Just try to it kill again? it, yeah. All right. I'll try. Well, you can take some rosemary clippings. Can I grow rosemary that way? You can grow rosemary. Honestly, I've extended our giant rosemary plant by literally taking a clipping and sticking it in the dirt. (laughs) This is how easy rosemary is to grow sometimes. I'm going to give that a try then. I've I've clipped off a a stem that was a little long that I didn't want, stuck it in the ground, just made sure to water it. And it It worked. It's it's another plant out there. Maybe I'll give it a try. It can grow pretty simply. That's our basic down and dirty panic gardening. I'm glad we ended on a semi-positive note here. Yeah. So I do think we'll get some expert gardeners to come in over the next couple of months or year or whatever to talk about specifics. But yeah, looking at you, Mikey. Yeah. And the other nice thing about doing something, I feel like panic gardening has been a way for a lot of people to exert some control yes. over this, over their crisis. Sure. In a way that you just can't. Like when it's such a huge problem and there's nothing you can really do but sit and wait. Just this doing is like something the best with your thing. hand. Yeah, you do something at the end of it. You like, I grew, I created life. I'm eating it. Like, there's nothing better, I don't think. No. And I mean, it's so good for a lot of things. It's a good hobby to have. It's a great kind of preparedness thing to do. Uh, it's just such a good 
habit to get into for a lot of reasons for your health. It gets you outside for mm-hmm. an hour or two a day. They say um, the sun kills it, right? Right. Um, but just being out, I mean, honestly, like I've enjoyed just being out in my yard, doing some water and doing some weeding, you know, 15, 20 minutes here. Very ten, proud of it. It's nice. It, and, and it's a way to start. There's all sorts of other projects. I know we posted on the website. I built some chicken cages because the chickens were eating my tomatoes. So I ended up building a little bit heavy, hardcore chicken cages. Is that why one of your chickens is now dead, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated. <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, no. So it's a great way to kind of get more and more projects and the more and more into it you do, the and more you can you make find. friends. Yeah. Since we all need friends now that we realize Join we're a local gardening social club creatures. Or demand and build a community garden. Yeah, like, those are Honestly, cool. lots of community gardens start from just a couple of people wanting to grow some food. And it turns into a huge network for mutual aid and for food resources and for sharing. If you live in, a, in an apartment building that doesn't have, you know, you don't have any room to grow it on your balcony, but there's a nice big square in the middle that is just nothing. Mm-hmm. Gorilla garden, man. There you go. Like, turn it into a community garden out just there. Start doing it. Just start doing it. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> That's what I... Actually, in life, I have learned that is so much better. I mean, honestly, sometimes if you just, like, clear a la- area and plant some seeds, like, who's going to get mad at you about that? There are much worse things. So, yeah, that's our podcast for today and a nice long show. We're back at it. We'll hopefully be a little more consistent as we move along. Here. I'm working a little bit less. I'm starting, yeah. to, starting to get more normal hours. Well, thank you all for listening. If you like our show, subscribe, like, write a review, tell your friends about us. Keep listening, yeah. even though we're intermittent. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.